We're going to continue in our sermon series this week called The Sermon That Turned the World Upside Down. And if I'm honest with you guys, this message, this principle, this teaching of Jesus is one of the hardest for me because like you, I am Bostonian. Like you, I am a sinner. Like you, I want to hit who hits me. I want to get back at those who do something wrong to me. I don't want to love my enemies. I want my enemies to pay. That's my sinful nature. So Jesus says, as a son of God, two people, I want you to love your enemy. Does anyone hear that said and all of a sudden say, man, that comes easy to me. Oh, I love my enemy all the time. That's really easy. Let me tell you something great of Boston. That does not come easy at all. Yeah, we cheered for Jeter. We didn't really like him. Let's all be honest. That was just sportsmanship. You know, we didn't really like him. We tried to love our enemies, but we're not Yankees fans. <sighs> There's a show I've seen a few episodes of called Dexter. All right, you've never heard a pastor say he watched Dexter before in his life, did you? Grace, grace. <laughs> I'll give you the basic summary of what happens in Dexter. Dexter is a serial killer. But let me give you a little bit more because that could sound a little crazy to start off. In his mind, he's a justified serial killer because he gets the bad guys. He gets the worst murderers, the people who abuse people. He tracks them down. He has his own little system and ritual, and he takes care of these heinous criminals and murderers. In one of the seasons, Dexter started befriending a man who had changed his life. He went from a convict who was in jail to a man who was following Jesus and leading other people to follow Jesus. They called him Brother Sam. Dexter had questions about God, so he's saying, is Brother Sam really genuine? Is this guy genuine, or is he just doing it for power, for fame, for recognition to control people? So he starts to befriend Brother Sam, and he's asking his questions, like, why are you trying to help these criminals? One time he goes to get someone who had turned back to drugs, and the guy tries to shoot him. And Dexter says, what are you trying to do right now? Make a long story short, the same guy that he had saved that night who tried to shoot him, or the gun went off when he tried to get him out of the house, that same guy ends up killing Brother Sam. He had given his life for this guy. He had gotten him a job. He had told everyone that he deserves a second chance, and there is hope for that man. And that man one night walked in, and he shot Brother Sam. Brother Sam ends up in the hospital in serious condition. Dexter goes to visit him. In Dexter's mind, there's vengeance. He says, Brother Sam, give me the word. I got a nice little appointment for this guy. I'll set him up. I'll chop him up nice. I'll throw him in the Miami Ocean. I hate Miami. Throw him in the Miami Ocean, and he'll be all done. Brother Sam looks at him, and he says, I want you to tell the guy's name was Nick. Tell Nick I forgive him. The look on Dexter's face, it's like, this guy just shot you. What are you talking about? Forgive him. That's your dying wish. Then Brother Sam dies right after. A man had just shot him, a man just killed him, and Brother Sam says, forgive that man. My last dying wish is that you go to him and say he's forgiven by me. Dexter goes through all kinds of things in his system, as many of us might go through today, even though you're not serial killers, I hope. When I tell you to love your enemies, you're going to go through all kinds of emotions. Because in Dexter's mind, like that man doesn't deserve to be forgiven. 
That man doesn't deserve to hear that when he killed you. He deserves vengeance. He deserves to be executed. But you know what? We deserved to be punished. We deserved to be executed. We didn't deserve to be forgiven. But what did God's own son do on the cross? He died for us while we were still sinners. And this is a basic foundational principle of the Christian faith. And as Jesus will go on to say, it is easy to love those who love you. Even the Pharisees and religious leaders do that. It's easy to greet those who greet you. Who can't do that? The gravest and most heinous of sinners greet those people who greet them. But Jesus is teaching in this sermon, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But he's calling us to an inner righteousness that affects our whole life and change the very way we act and we respond to people. Okay? That's pretty heavy. It should feel heavy because some of us have enemies going through our mind right now and said, you're telling me I need to forgive them? I'm saying yes. You had a list about seven to ten you just went through, right? Don't tell me this. Jesus tells us today we're going to pray for those who spitefully use us, for those who persecuted us, and forgive those. And I know that's hard for many people in there because some people have sinned against you greatly. Greatly. I don't know all the pain you've been through. I don't know all the hurt. I don't know the abuse. I don't know about the things that you never even told the soul. But I encourage you, because of the words of Jesus, to forgive that person who has become your enemy and hurt you in sinful ways. So let's start here. I'm going to read, if we could turn to Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Jesus starts off, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we see as Jesus changes, like he'll talk about anger, he'll talk about murder, he'll talk about lust, he'll talk about divorce, he'll talk about oaths. Then he'll shift. And as he shifts in transition, he says, he starts it off, you have heard that it was said. And what does he say? That you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Let me tell you, if you go through the old, the whole Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, the Torah, the Pentateuch, whatever you want to call it, you will not find anywhere in the Old Testament where it says to hate your enemies. What he is getting at here is the interpretation of the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders. They interpreted God revealing them to love your neighbor as they didn't have to love anyone else that went beyond their definition of their neighbor. So if they weren't living on the right and the left, they could hate them. The scribes and the Pharisees were teaching that their neighbor was a very small group of people and they loved them and they could hate everyone else that was not like them. Let me tell you this right away. That is not the way of God. And I just want to show you in the Old Testament real quick. And I know it's always funny sometimes when we turn there and we talk about donkeys and stuff. But we got to do that. I'm going to make it a little more culturally, uh, culturally relevant with 
for you. So it's Exodus 23, 4 and 5. I just want to show you how God taught his people to love even your enemy. It says, if you meet your enemy's ox, I know you haven't ran into an ox lately, but stay with me. Or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving with it. You shall rescue it with him. Now let me make this relevant, because we're not running into broken down donkeys. Okay? <clears throat> You're on 128. You know where I'm going. You're on 128. And the vehicle we use to get from place to place, that's like a donkey. But let's fast forward 2,000 years. You see someone in a nice little get-up, the nice little car, they're your enemy. They send some stuff that just aggravate you. They can be a horrible enemy or just a person that aggravates you or just a person that got you fired at work. You choose your story. You see him on the side of 128. Let me ask what your heart does. Does your heart say, yes, I am going to drive by him. I'm going to look at them. I might slow down to 50 miles per hour on the highway. I'm going to say, you got what you deserved moving on. Or would you pull out to your enemy, right? If it's your family, everyone's pulling over, right? Your enemy, say, listen, let me help you out. Let me help you. Let me check. Pull up your hood. Let me check the engine. Let me do all these things. Jesus is even teaching, God is even teaching us in the Old Testament that we are called to love and care for our enemies. This is very important because this distinguishes us as Christians. Everyone else in the world, if they're not taught by Jesus, our natural inclination is to love only those who love us. It is a full revelation from God himself that anyone would even teach to love your enemies. Now, I want to ask you, Jesus said you heard that it was said. I want to say, what did you hear that was said when you were younger about response to your enemies? Did you learn from the Godfather trilogy like me? To stay calm, cool, and collected until you pull the trigger, right? They don't know what's going on. I'll act like their friend. How about this one that everyone thinks in Proverbs? I'm telling you, people think stuff's in the Bible. It's not in there. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. If you thought that was Proverbs 16 too, you've got to do a little more work in the scriptures. All right? Like I said a million times, we cannot get our theology from Goodfellas. When we're young, we're taught certain things. We teach our kids certain things. Like if they don't treat you white, you act like this. You, and we'll talk about retaliation next week. You retaliate. You don't like them. You shut them off. How about that list? Put them on that list. What is that list? Right? I'm not going to use that word that helps us understand that list. Only list we should put them on is to pray for them. That's what Jesus is teaching us. That's the difference between those who follow Jesus and those who follow their sinful nature. Christians will be marked by loving their enemies. And this is amazing because Jesus, who is in no way ever hypocritical in anything he preaches and perfectly execute executes everything that he says, he is speaking in a, manner, uh, in a manner that his followers would see him within three years. They would see him lay down his life for his enemies. Do you guys know that Jesus didn't die for his friends? Some people could make an argument that you could go to the cross for your friends. Some people could make an argument, I'll die for those I love. 
How about dying for your enemy? How many people would die for your enemy? That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Sometimes we as Christians, and I always want to drive this point on, we think we're the good people that God called. And it's quite the contrary. We're the bad people that Jesus called to make us new through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We were enemies of God, each and every one of us, until he reconciled us through the person and work of Jesus. And now we went from enemies of God to children of God. That is amazing. Just I want to read this verse to you, Romans 5.10, so you get a healthy understanding, a healthy framework for this theology to love your enemies. It says, for if while we were enemies, us, me and you, were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his son, much more that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So some of you, that might catch you off guard that I just told you that each person was an enemy of God. You know, anyone that sins against God is an enemy against God. Anyone who breaks the law of God, whether once or whether 5,000 times, is an enemy of God's law and his authority. We all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Yet Jesus died for us, his enemies, and reconciled and made us children of God. Imagine being on that cross. This is still one of the most powerful statements, I think, in the word of God. They're all powerful. It's the word of God. How do you intercede from the cross when you're being murdered by your enemies, by your very people, and pray, Father God, forgive them, for they know not what they do? How do you do that if you are not the author of love and the Savior of the world? That blows my mind, because sometimes we say, okay, he was, Jesus was the Son of God. I see how he could pull that off. Like, Jesus, he's Son of God, he's perfect, he's always been incarnate, you know, all that stuff. He can love his enemies. But Jesus is not saying just I should love my enemies. He's saying all those who want to follow me with an internal purity, internal holiness, with a kingdom that lives within, will love their enemies. Now, why should we do this? Because I hear this command and I say to myself, this is so hard. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to even think about this. I'm stressed out enough. Now you're telling me to love my enemies? Come on, I come here to hear some fluffy message and go home. i got to tell you about the reward. Because we do stuff in our life because of the reward. The reward is, if you love your enemy, empowered and fueled by the grace of God, you will be called a son and a daughter of God the Father. Now, sometimes we just take that lightly. We say, oh, I'm a child of God without realizing what Jesus had to do to make us children of God and be adoption. The doctrine of adoption has become little to us instead of monumental. The fact that any one of us could go from sinners to children of God is amazing, and Jesus had to pay the price so that could happen. That's not a little thing. Now, he's making a distinction here. He's saying all those who don't love their enemies are not children of God. Now, who is he talking about here in this context? What did he say to the Pharisees and the scribes and leaders over and over again? He said, you don't know God the Father. If you knew God the Father, you would see me for who I was, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Now, these guys were parading around. They were the heads of the churches. They had all the right clothes, all the right gear, prayed all the right prayers, and he says, you don't even know God. Does that shake anybody? 
He's saying you don't know God because your actions don't follow someone who knows God. If you knew God, if you love God, you'd understand that it's important to love your enemy, not to hate your neighbor, not to hate your enemy, not to cast them out. These are the guys that would have seen the Samaritan in the road and just walked on by. Is there someone who is so much your enemy that you would see him in the road dying, bleeding, laying there, and you would just pass on by? Because nothing about that is Christ-like. Do you guys hear that truth? The people who look, Hannah heard it. The people who looked on the outside, you would say they're the most religious, were the same men who were teaching to hate your neighbor and pass those who are your enemies. And this is an important point. Jesus says three things. He said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Let me answer that for you. You have no reward. Now, he says tax collectors. Now, I don't know if we're going to get someone who ever works for the IRS here, so I don't want to just knock tax collectors. Let me help you understand. There's some good tax collectors out there. Everyone just said, no, there isn't. Yes, there are. Back in that day, the tax collectors, like no one could stand the tax collectors. The tax collector was a guy who bribed widows and take from the poor and take money that they said were for taxes and even use it for himself. He's saying these horrible criminals even love those who love them. How about greeting? Do you greet your enemy well? Let's get back there for a second. Or do you make that move that we all have to make when we know someone's at the party that we don't like? Isn't that the most uncomfortable situation? Jesus says you are to greet your enemies and to love your enemies and to forgive them and to treat them with respect and with love. Now, things, a few things happen when you love your enemies. First is your conscience becomes clear. Many people here have trouble sleeping. Many people here have trouble with anxiety, with depression. And sometimes, not all the time, sometimes we struggle with those things. I don't want to just say because of this. It's because our conscience is not clear. God gave us a conscience. And when we work against those things, it creates turmoil inside of that we don't rest easy. When you follow the commandments of God and start loving your enemies and forgiving people you never even thought you would forgive, you're going to find yourself hitting that pillow a little softer. And a few of us could use that. few of us are holding some stuff in here at our enemies that Jesus took on the cross. And your conscience will be cleared when you finally say, Father God, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. Do you know that? Do you know that some of our parents hurt us tremendously and they didn't know what they were doing, even though they still sinned? Some of our friends hurt us tremendously and they didn't know what they were doing. Some did, and we're still called to forgive them. We're still called to pray for them. Forgive your enemies. This will clear your conscience. And I want you guys sleeping easy at Restoration Road. All of a sudden, when you do that thing, do those things, you catch people off guard because you start becoming a light. When you just start being darkness with darkness, it just produces more darkness. So if you're around the crew, I hate them. No one crosses me. They don't know who I am. I don't roll like that. Who are you anyways? I don't even know what that is. Stop acting like we have this so much power because we don't. We don't. God has given us our strength through the gospel to forgive people and become lights. When you go up to someone who has hurt you tremendously and honestly say it, not to, I'm forgiving you because Jesus told me to forgive you. Like, don't do that. I don't know what the order was. (laughs) 
That is not doing it in a pure motive in true love. Honestly, go before God, work through that stuff, go to that person and say, I forgive you. Now understand it. You don't have to become that person's best friend. Some people get this cross. There can be boundaries and parameters. People think loving your enemy is like, let's go out on Sunday at 2. No, you don't have to go out Sunday at 2. But you do have to forgive and pray for that person. They might not become your best friend, but you can still forgive them. And you will shine a light on them that might even penetrate their soul. And they might see the goodness and grace of God. And their lives might be changed forever. Those kind of things happen when you love your enemies. If we're a community who loves our enemies, that will change the people who are connected to us and the people around us. And it will change us also. You begin to know Jesus better when you love your enemies. So I watched TV. Who saw the first episode of Gotham? All right, brother. All right. A couple of brothers in here staying loyal. It was a good one. I recommend it. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. In the scene, Bruce Wayne's parents, everyone knows the story. There's been 52 Batman movies. Bruce Wayne's parents get killed. Okay? Jim Gordon comes to the scene, and Bruce Wayne's over there dealing with the fact that his parents have just got killed in front of him. Jim Gordon goes over to him, he sits next to him, sits next to him, and he says, first Bruce won't talk to him because he can't relate to him at all, right? He thinks, I'm the only one going through this right now. Jim Gordon looks over to Bruce and he says, I lost my father when I was young. He got hit by a drunk driver and he's dead. I know what you're going through right now. And all of a sudden, Bruce Wayne opened up and they begin to have a conversation because they related. That's why it's called the relationship. You relate and you know people. When you start suffering like Jesus and loving your enemies and praying for your enemies and those who persecute you, you get to know Jesus better. When you experience, of course, we can't suffer like Jesus and totally. He was the son of God. He gave his life. But when we start feeling familiar suffering, where we're loving our enemies and praying for our enemies, you start to relate, like Paul said, I'm sharing in the sufferings of Jesus and I'm getting to know Jesus through the things I am suffering. We don't experience that when we just hate our enemies. When we love our enemies, we start to cultivate the heart of God and we start to get to know the Son of God and we become lights in this world. And then he finishes off the discourse. He says, go ahead, be perfect. <laughs> How's that feel? I was just like, man, that's how this thing's going to wrap up? Love your enemies? Be perfect. Let me help you understand this. There's only one who will ever be perfect. We know that. We say that almost every week. It's part of every sermon I preach. And it's not getting out of the message. <laughs> Jesus was the only one who could be perfect. He's the only one who could perfectly love his enemy. He's the only one who could perfectly pray for his enemy. He's the only one who could be perfectly sinless in his life and die an atoning death for all those who believe in him and rise from the grave. That's finalized. That doesn't mean you don't put the bar high and say be perfect. I told my kids to clean their room the other day. How many parents have been through this? I didn't go in here and I say, I want half this room cleaned. Leave the other half dirty. I didn't say, out of ten, I want this room to be a seven. When I come back, this better be at least a seven. What do you say? This room better be clean from top to bottom in every corner. Get out the mop. Take that off the bureau. Help each other. I want a ten. I want perfection. Do you ever get a ten? Who has walked in that room and been like, what's going on here? Light. No. You say, man, I got to show grace to the kids. They missed that thing on the counter. Right? It's the same with us as God's children. He's calling us to attend. 
no one's going to get a 10. But you've got to shoot for a 10 because that increases your performance. Right? What if we got up there and said, just do this halfway. I want you to love your enemies. No big deal. Give me a five. No. Go out there and work for a 10 by God's grace. Go out there and try it as much as you can, compelled by God's grace to love your enemy and allows God's grace to impact your life. Restoration Road. Don't say you're going to forgive your enemy tomorrow. Don't say you're going to lo- love your enemy tomorrow. I pray that today, even tonight, even this service, even as we continue to worship and take communion, I pray that you truly see what Jesus has done for us as his enemies, and that compels you to love and to pray for your enemies. Amen.